This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. Today, I'm excited to welcome Dr. David Bizak to the show. Now, Dr. Bizak is the president of Romaldi Davidson and Associates, a full-service forensic engineering firm. He specializes in a range of areas, including product design, automotive defect investigation, property loss, and much, much more. Uh, Dr. Bizak is a certified investigator for the National Association of Fire Investigators and is a registered engineer in four states. He holds a PhD and MS Mechanical Engineering from Carnegie. Carnegie Mellon. Dr. Bizak, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's jump into it. You're a PhD mechanical engineer. Uh, tell me about your path to Romaldi, and um, then I'd like to talk a little bit about how you first got into expert witnessing. My path to Romaldi, while I was doing graduate studies at Carnegie Mellon, one of the professors, John Wiss, who had a extensive background in munitions from the military served as a expert for Romaldi Davidson in firearms cases. Oh, okay. And he and I started talking. And so he'd start telling me about some of his cases and he recommended, hey, this is something that maybe you ought to take a look at. Um, so did he kind of show you the ropes a bit? Did he give you some good advice when you first got started? Because a lot of uh, the experts that I've interviewed, they're kind of just called out of the blue the first time. So it sounds like you may have had a little bit of a leg up. Yes, I, he basically gave me a background of what, what it entails being an expert witness, uh, you know, reviewing the information, doing examinations of products, uh, writing report, testifying. I mean, just a general feel for what was going to happen. So you were ready the first time uh, an attorney contacted you and kind of peppered you with questions during the vetting process. Oh, I don't know about why I was ready. <laughs> the first time I testified and I came off the stand, I had uh, sweat stains down to my uh, waist from my armpit because it was such a, a stressful uh, environment uh, for me to do it the first time. How long ago was that? That was almost 30 years ago. Okay, so you've been doing it for a little while since then. Let's talk about that then. You know, what are the preparation methods that kind of allay some of those fears and anxieties and things when you're just, you know, you're not sure what to expect? Even, you know, even with a mentor, um, you still had, you know, a little bit of nervousness and anxiety going into the process. What are the sorts of things that help you as an expert witness become more comfortable with the entire process? I would say... Um... I would, uh, before I testify the first time, it would be nice to go into a courtroom and watch somebody give testimony. So you kind of see the interaction with both attorneys uh, during direct and cross-examination, as well as the interaction with the jury, because the jury is the ones making the decision. So you can't just focus on the people asking the questions. Um, in my experience, what I think has helped me most is even though I've testified probably 250 times, every time you go, you get nervous about it. I have a trial coming up next week that I was in a prep session today and kind of going over what we we're going to cover. Uh, one of the things that I find that helps me get settled down is to kind of go through and, and develop a testimony outline or script. Uh, you know, here's some questions, give it to the attorney, he can add or she 
uh, add or subtract from it. But now you kind of know going in, this is what we're going to talk about. This is, this is the order it's going to be presented. Uh, and you'll get a comfort level answering questions. Uh, there's nothing more disconcerting after giving somebody an outline like that. First question is, well, what are your opinions? Well, I thought we <laughs> about the basis before we got to that, but you know that kind of throws you off when that happens. Sure. Uh, in in your field, we're talking about a really broad field here. Um, what does it mean to you, kind of, just to be an expert? You're, you're an expert across not only multiple areas but multiple states. So how do you maintain that level of expertise, and how are you able to, um, you know, when when you're being vetted by an attorney or um, an associate of an attorney uh, to be an expert on a case? How are you able to, you know, be able to answer not only that you know, but whether or not you know you're with with such a large body of knowledge? A lot of, of that comes in with, with time and experience. Um, you know, the, the first cases that you're handling are maybe insurance claims, you're going out looking at water losses. Uh, then, you know, you start identifying, for example, failures of supply houses, and you investigate a few of those. And pretty soon somebody calls you, oh yeah, I have a, 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 a water loss at, at a home. Well, the people were away on vacation. Well, what kind of supply hose was the toilet? Oh, stainless steel? Yeah. Did they have toilet bowl cleaner around there? Because uh, you've seen it and you kind of know what's what's happening. And I mean, you I guess you, the sad part about this job is by the time you feel like you're an expert, it's time to think about retiring. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, and you know, you're an expert when somebody calls you and says, hey, I had this accident and you tell them, well, I don't even need to look at a piece of equipment. I know exactly what happened. And you explain it to them. And they're all amazed. That, no, I've seen it before. I know what happened. So when you're first getting into the process as a, as a younger expert, do you recommend having kind of more of a niche knowledge to, uh, to get your first few engagements? I would say that you, you want to be as broad as possible. Um, okay. Because, you know, yeah, there, there, there are, certain experts that have one particular area that they have expertise, but unless you have a nationwide uh, group to um, parlay that knowledge, you're not going to get too many cases. So, you know, it's, it's, and each case that you do uh, adds to your uh, knowledge base and credibility. And, you know, it's not like you're going to start day one and say, I do all of this stuff. It's things that accumulate over time. I, I, I did not do fire investigation for about the first five or six years of my career. Okay. Um, I basically started doing structure fires because somebody asked me to. Uh, and I have colleagues who specialize in that. And I decided, you know, I, I'm into cars. I want to do vehicle fires. And. The first few vehicle fires, yeah, it's kind of a learning experience. What am I looking for? Uh, you may make some mistakes along the way, but as you accumulate experience, yeah, I've seen this before, and and you get more confident in your opinions. So, you know, as a very experienced individual, the vetting process is really a two-way vetting process, right? You have to decide whether or not you want to take the case, whether or not they want to engage you or not. Um, what's the calculus that comes into that? Do you turn down a significant number of cases? Yes, usually what I do for, for most clients, if they have something they want me to take a look at, 
I'll ask them for some preliminary information. They may have a police report if it's an accident reconstruction. Um, they may have some photographs of a failed product, some background about what happened. And I kind of go through and do a triage and, and look at it and say, you know, I don't think there's something here I can help you with in terms of rendering an opinion. I mean, I can look at it off, absolutely, but I don't think that it would be something that would be worthwhile for me to engage in. How far along in the case uh, are the lawyers or lawyers representatives typically when they bring you on? Is it typically at the beginning of the case or somewhere in the middle? It can vary. There are instances where I may be brought on within days. I mean, the, the earliest I ever had an accident was I was at the accident site of a accident literally two hours after the accident. Oh, you're kidding. That is very rare. There are other times where something may be 10 years old and, you know, depositions have been taken. There's really nothing to look at except the record that has been established from inspections, photographs, and so on. So there isn't a, a set time that I would say is normal. Now, I've heard from other experts on occasion that they would prefer to be brought in earlier in the case, and it can do a little bit of a detriment or a little bit of a disservice by being brought in a little bit later in the case. Has that been your experience as well? Yes, because there are certain things that you would want information, like I have a case right now where a truck drifted forward and pinned somebody. The truck was supposedly examined afterwards and there was no problem with it, but I wasn't there. There are no photographs. I don't know if anybody checked the adjustment of the parking brake, the condition of the parking brake. Um, so, I mean, I cannot really render an opinion because I don't know. And it's so late now, you can't go back and, and repeat that. Right. So they probably should have brought you in earlier. Does that happen a lot or is that just an occasional thing? I wouldn't say it happens a lot, but it, it, it's it's not uncommon, let's say. Besides being, you know, obviously an expert in your area, what makes an expert particularly compelling to an attorney? What are the other attributes of a good expert witness? In my estimation, what makes a good expert is somebody who has a command of the technical issues can boil it down into simple terms that lay people on the jury will understand. I like to use a lot of uh, examples. Uh, for example, if you're talking about the coefficient of friction, what is that? Well, let's say we have a hundred pound box and I'm trying to push it across the floor and it takes 40 pounds to push it. Well, the coefficient of friction is just 40 divided by hundred something easy for them to understand. Um, the other thing is when you testify, uh, whether it be a deposition or a trial, is to pause before you start speaking um, and kind of digest what's being asked and being able to process that and come up with a, a, an answer based upon your knowledge. Um, and also not being afraid, if somebody asks the right question, you're gonna give them the right answer. Did Miss Smith, would she have seen a motorcycle if she looked before she pulled out? Yes, yes she would have, it was within her field of view. 
So always answer answer truthfully. Yes, and and it is. I know a lot of experts just hate to sit there and admit that no, I don't know, because they think that well, that says that I'm really not prepared or whatever. But there are instances where yeah, I don't know, I can't know because the information isn't available. Do you do uh, mock cross examinations to prepare for some of those difficult questions? I would say early in my career, there were instances where during trial prep that that would take place. Um, most of the times I go to trial now, I would say that's rarely done, but there are instances uh, with some clients who to give themselves a, a, a sense of security in terms of how the trial is going, that they want to subject you to that and say, you know, let's sit down and spend an afternoon going through this. Sure. When they're, you know, young in the career and, and uh, sweating on the stand, like you were, like you were saying before. Um, besides, you know, obviously knowing your material and um, being comfortable with the report that you've written and understanding how to write the, I mean, understand how to answer the questions in an honest manner. What are the other, uh, you know, important aspects of being a good expert witness when you're being, when you're on the stand, when you're giving testimony, when you're talking to people? Well, like I said, you want to be able to relate to people on the jury. You, you don't want to look over at the jury when you're talking and giving an answer and you see people sleeping or their eyes glazed over because you're using terminology or concepts that they just don't get. One, one of the things that you don't want to do is you don't want to use acronyms. I mean, uh, engineers often like acronyms. And everybody in the business understands those acronyms, but the people sure. sitting on the jury don't understand what an EDR is, an event data recorder. You need to explain what that is, how it works in a car. You know, it, you need to break things down just like you're teaching a class. That's why a lot of good experts are professors who routinely have students in their class. And they're explaining concepts to them, and they're a little bit better capable of explaining the jury thing in terms that they might understand. When you write your report, are you ever given kind of a skeletal outline of it or are you developing a whole cloth typically? I routinely get nothing from my client uh, in terms of desires. I mean, they may suggest, hey, we need to, you need to make sure you address these two or three issues. Um, but the report itself I put together, uh, I will pass it by. Uh, client may have some comments. Well, you know, I, I'd like you to expand this or clarify this. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the same as testifying. When, when you put a report together, um, you have to realize that this may be read by somebody who has no background or knowledge of the of the topic that you're talking about, but the circumstances of the, the accident or incident. So you need to, to have a report that kind of stands on its own. Sure. Do you have maybe a uh, an engagement or two that you can share with us that uh, has either kind of informed or changed the way that you approach expert witnessing? Well, I, I would say... Something that that has has had a profound effect on me uh, is I work for an attorney in California whose 
had about 50 years of experience in, and every, every time I got together with him, I, I gathered a little bit of knowledge and we went to lunch one day and, and I was working for him. He was a defense attorney in a products case. And he explained to me that, you know, product liability is like insurance. It really doesn't matter about liability. It's if somebody gets a serious injury, it's like a form of insurance. We spread that cost of their catastrophic injury across a number of products instead of letting them bear the cost themselves. So when we look at this as an engineer, we're looking at what's the technical answer? What caused the accident? Well, in in the big scheme of things, that may not matter. If, If somebody ends up getting seriously injured, it may not matter that it's not the product's fault. It's, you know, when you go to trial, the jury's going to find for the plaintiff and give a reward, an award. Um, before we wrap up, I do have a question that I like to ask all of my interviewees, and that is uh, regarding winning. Um, is winning the case important to you? Is this part of the calculus, A, that, that you uh, that you engage in when you decide whether or not you're going to take on a client? And is it important going forward when you are retained that you've won more cases, you know, quote unquote, won more cases than you've lost? I would say early on that that, that's just the natural instinct that when I go to testify, I am right. And I want to see the jury basically come out and confirm that, yes, I was right. The other guy was wrong because a lot of things are not black and white when you go into a trial. And what I have come to find out from my many years of experience is what an expert may or may not say uh, may be irrelevant to the outcome. For example, I had a trial in which this gentleman claimed he was injured, and as a result of this injury, he couldn't raise his arm above his shoulder. And... I was there for the defense. The The accident, as described, just couldn't have happened based upon my evaluation. Plaintiff's expert says, no, this, this piece squirted out of the machine and struck him. The At the end of the trial, it came back with a defense verdict. And what most impressed the, the, the jury is one lady made a, uh, uh, a notice that the plaintiff showed up with a pullover sweater every day. If he couldn't raise his hand above his shoulder, how did he get this sweater on every day? <laughs> so it kind of puts it in, into context that, you know, it doesn't matter how good you may be on the stand. That may not be what turns the case. And what I am concerned with is that my client feels like I did a good job. And ultimately, that's how you get repeat business, right? Correct. Uh, do you stay abreast of the case as it unfolds? Do you always find out where it is and keep track of if it's settled or if it's won or what what happens afterwards? My my staff here, basically, because there are so many cases open at one time, they go through and periodically query whether a case has settled or can be closed or whatever. So I don't know every case as it comes in, what the disposition is. Some of the cases I will be informed that we're, you know, I'm more involved report, we're getting prepped for trial and it settles before it gets to trial. I will know about those, but there may be other ones where I write a report 
And, you know, somewhere down the line, there was a mediation and got and it got settled. And I don't know one way or the other what happened. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, as, as people, you know, settle and and uh, things get decided out of court or years down the line, I'm sure it is hard to keep track of it all, especially when you have so many cases under your belt. Yeah, that's that's the case. And a lot of times, just like uh, a settlement is it, it comes down to calculus of the money, um, sure. you know depends on on how injured the person is that somebody even though they may not feel they have liability they don't want to take the risk of going to trial because of the potential uh award do you have any last advice for experts particularly newer experts or attorneys who are working with experts i would say my my advice i i i participated in a um program put on by the local law school. And what they did is they they had a competition of, of law, law students. And they would come in and they would have cases, mock cases, and experts would be assigned. And these were actual cases. So we, we would take those reports and we would go through and a federal judge served as a judge and she he or she uh, would say, you know, which, which side won. And I was trying to impress upon the attorney students that you have to listen to your expert, okay? Because I have been in a courtroom more than you probably will be your entire career because most <laughs> attorneys aren't trying cases every day. I may That's be correct. testifying eight or nine times a year. So, you know, I kind of know what's important and the questions that should be asked based upon the, the technical aspects of the case. And I had one student who just kind of ignored it when she went over and we had, you know, a debriefing afterwards. And I said, you should never, ever sit here and ignore your expert because your expert has probably a better understanding of what's important and what's not important. Is that something that you've experienced over the years? People, uh, uh, attorneys who don't you know, pay enough attention to what their expert is telling them? I, I have seen that, but most of my clients uh, have, through their career, have, you know, listened and solicited, you know, advice and comments from me during the course of, of preparing for trial or depositions, you know, hey, what kind of questions should I be asking this, this witness or that witness? And I, I think that that's just... They've come to that realization as well, is that, you know, hey, I got to get the information for this guy to write a report and show up for trial. So I want to make sure that I get all the information and I need to understand myself why it's important. Right. Uh, it's sage advice. Thank you so much, Dr. Bizak, for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much to our listeners for joining us for another discussion at the Roundtable. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 